0: He's kind of like the Joe Rogan of the hospitality industry right now.
1: Running a short-term rental business is challenging and time-consuming. Whether it's 10 units or 1,000 units, trying to keep up with the latest trends, technology, hardware, revenue management, guest support, and R&D, it's become almost impossible and increasingly more expensive for the everyday host. On top of that, all of this tedious work does not allow you to focus on what matters most, and that is your guest. Luckily, this will no longer be a problem. Introducing Journey's MOS the newest and most advanced tech solution in hospitality. Journey's MOS provides you with a one-stop solution that will automate your entire operation and take care of all of your back office work, allowing you to fully focus on growing your business the way you want to. To learn more about MOS, visit Journey online at journey.com. That's journey, J-U-R-N-Y.com. com.
0: I'm still willing to take tons of risks because I know I'm going to keep grinding for the next bunch of decades. And I always ask myself if I had to start over at zero right now, could I do it? And I I always say yes. Now, if you have a family or some kind of other obligations, maybe you can't take as many risks as I do. But outside of that, take chances, open things, start companies. If they fail, try again. But I think that. We as a people, for whatever reason, are just so consumed with failure and, and all and this horrible thing. What does it mean about me? What does it mean about me as a person? What are people going to think? How will I ever bounce back? How depressed will I be? I'm not thinking about everyone's going to see that I failed or people are going to look down on me because things didn't work out. Whatever. It's done. And uh, it's on to the next thing. And I think if you look at the most successful people out there, you will find that they have failed a ton. And I think that people hold themselves back where they'll either fail once or not try again, or they'll succeed once and not try again. Meaning like they'll open that one business or that one restaurant or one bar and it'll go great. And they'll say, great, I did it. I have this thing and here I am. And that's great. Whereas the mindset for me, at least, and and for people that want to go further should be both should just be a, a way to keep going. You failed, you keep going, you succeeded, you keep going. And so you learn things both times. And what I've learned, of course, is you tend to learn a lot more when you fail than when you succeed, but you should just keep going. And, and failure should not have this stigma that it's the end of the world because the way that things are set up for us, thankfully, you can fail and you can start another business the next day uh, or that day. So that's been a big thing that I've learned that's really resonated with me in the past year that, look, there there was failures in the beginning, you know, seven or eight years ago, I let those failures hurt me. Now I'm like, this failed, let's put something else there and see if it works.
1: You're listening to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, a podcast for those who are in and around the hospitality industry who love, live, and breathe what they do. You can join us for candid and unscripted conversations with hospitality experts and founders as we go deeper into their personal stories while they're sharing their triumphs and trials that got them to where they are today. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and you're listening to an episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. Now, let's begin. In hotels and vacation rentals, the top complaints or issues are noise, garbage, and parking. I may not be able to solve all of your parking and garbage problems, but I could definitely help with your noise problems. And that actually might just help your garbage and parking problems too. So NoiseAware is the only 100% privacy safe noise monitoring solution that property managers and owners can use in order to ensure they avoid parties and other issues happening at their property. You won't get notified when a plate breaks, but if you have a little quiet get together that kind of gets out of hand like this, then NoiseAware will give you the peace of mind to ensure that you and your property and of course your profits are protected so use my code slicktalk20 to get 20% off of all noise monitoring devices and focus on the other important things that help you run your business now thank you for checking out slicktalk the hospitality podcast get back to the episode and don't forget to check out noise aware while you're listening All right, everybody, welcome back to another podcast on Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. I'm with Scott Parker, who is the founder of Scott Parker Brands, based out in Arlington, Virginia. You're a restaurateur, entrepreneur. Uh, we got introduced from a mutual friend, uh, Josh Johnston, who is the founder of Trey Away. Uh, we actually had him on the podcast years ago when I was just starting out, um, nice. 2018, 19. Uh, so very excited to see that recommendation come full circle, but Scott, welcome to the show. How are you doing my friend?
0: Thanks Will. Great to be here, man. I'm doing great. Another day.
1: Awesome. Well, so you are a founder, entrepreneur, restaurateur, all the ooers that you can add to a, a, a word, right? Um, but let's dive into your story in particular. What, what got you into hospitality? You have multiple businesses under one brand, Scott Parker. Uh, So excited to jump into where the beginning started.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Um, I I guess being a kid, um, I always tell people this, but I remember being attracted to uh, restaurants, um, you know, and just the energy that they have, even as a a young kid. Um, And then my first job ever, I started working the day I turned 14. That was the legal age in in, uh, New Jersey at the time where I'm from. I grew up right outside Atlantic City um, near ocean city, New Jersey. My hometown is called Summers point. And, um, yeah, my first job ever was 14 years old, washing dishes at a, a little local uh, breakfast restaurant. And that was my start. And from there I kind of progressed and I worked a lot of the jobs, you know, in, within the restaurant industry.
1: Yeah. That seems like a, uh, a pretty classic way to get into restaurants, hotels. Like people are like, I started as a pot washer, a dishwasher, yeah. uh, whatever that may be a bus boy. Yeah. Um, so it's always cool to see how like, you know, really starting from like probably the lowest position you can have in a restaurant uh, to working your way up. And so uh, tell us about like, you know, scaling your your career. You know, what sure. was what was the next step? When did you kind of take it a little bit more like you're like, this is where I'm going to be doing full time. And yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I attended uh, James Madison University down in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Um, and after mm-hmm. that, I went back to my hometown of Summers Point in New Jersey. Um, At that point, you know, I had my degree. I didn't know what I wanted to do. But where I was living was a small town. And so all my buddies from college were living in Arlington, Virginia, right across the river from DC. All were doing great professionally. All were having a ton of fun socially. And so I'm like, you know, I'll just give Arlington a try. I was 24. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so I got here and I started nine to fiving and maybe one weekend in nine to fiving, I realized I hated it. Um, and I was miserable and I was wearing a suit every day and, and doing stuff I didn't want to do with my time. Um, and somewhere along that, that road when I was 24, I just got this idea that I was going to be a bar owner. Um, I, you know, I, like I said, my whole life I'd worked in hospitality um, and, you know, throughout college I was sort of a party promoter, post-college party promoter, bartender, did a lot of events, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so it just fit well. I, I, I was, you know, back then mad in love with bars and going to bars as a 20 something. And it was just I just decided one day I'm going to do this. And so I started working and saving money back then. I didn't know about things like venture capital or investors or, or, or banks. started working and saving money and did that for a bunch of years. And then when I was 30, I took that savings and, uh, you know, put it on the line for my first bar. And that one worked out. That was almost 10 years ago now. And that one worked out. And that led me to kind of be able to open all this other stuff.
1: Yeah. So, and I remember when Josh introduced us, um, more or less like you had a pretty pivotal point in your life and career cause you were in that nightlife scene, right? Yeah. And then kind of getting caught up in all of that. So yeah. what was, what was the, what was the story behind all that getting, you know, give us uh, some detail.
0: Yeah. 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 So come this may coming up, I'll be 12 years, um, you know, off, off drinking. Um, you know, I started when I was 17. I, I quit when I was 27 and it was just a rough ride, man. I think, I always tell people, I don't even know if I was 18 yet. Maybe max 18, but but by then, even one year into drinking, I I knew it was problematic. Yeah. I knew that I knew that I liked it a little too much. I knew that it was something that already had its grips on me. And, and you know, in the first six months, twelve months already, I could feel it pulling me back. Right, and then um, it was just a huge part of my life socially. Um, you know, just just in general, I, I really really got into drinking. And I you know I always tell people it's the scale kind of tipped over those 10 years in the first year I would say it was like 99% fun mm-hmm. and uh, 1% misery because you know, it's new and you're young and everyone's drinking and it's the new cool thing and you're having so much fun. And then maybe like 1% of the time, you know, you get a hangover or something bad happens. You puke, you know, something, something along those lines. Yeah. And then as I went through those years, it sort of tipped, and, you know, maybe halfway through, it was like 50, 50, like 50% misery, 50% fun. Right. And then by the time I got to the last few years, it was like, you know, maybe 95% misery and 5% fun. I would, I would have fun for the first 15, 20, 30 minutes of drinking. And after that, I'd just be a sloppy mess and sad and unhappy and all the things that come with being, you know, more or less an alcoholic. Yeah. And so one day I got to, I got to be, uh, you know, uh, 27, um, you know, going on 28. And I just had a, a bloody battle. I actually got into a fight and uh, got my butt kicked and, and was a bloody mess. And I woke up the next day and realized it's just not who I wanted to be anymore I'm not a violent person anyway. I just, you know, alcohol made me into a monster. And uh, yeah, so that that ended when I was 28. and You know, then I kind of got that clarity that I needed to pursue what I wanted to do. And two years later, I got my first bar open.
1: That's incredible. Yeah. So the, 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 I think you and I also talked about on, on your pre-chat more or less was, you know, there's a certain time in your life when you're like, okay, enough is enough with one thing, right? Mine was smoking cigarettes because I was in the army and also drinking as well, but not as much, uh, to the point where I was getting in, into, you know, the, the trouble of, of all, all of that. Um, yeah. But, you know, there's just a point, like, especially when, you know, you want to do something greater than yourself, which is, you know, in my opinion, you know, starting a business is one of those. Uh, yeah. Starting a family is another one and, and a few other things. Um, but, you know, when you want to get into doing something greater than yourself, there's a moment internally, I think that I, I don't know if I thought it or if you even maybe had a moment where you thought it, but more or less, it just you're like, that's it. And it, it was it was quit. It was game over. I, I want to pursue this. Um And so to see that, you know, you had that shift and change. And within two years, you said you saved up how much in order to buy it? Yes, I I, I
0: saved up about 125 grand in those five years, just waiting tables. And um, then I used that money to secure a larger loan and put that in and got, you know, uh, became a 50% owner of my first bar and restaurant. And and that was the one. So, yeah. But yeah, but it it wouldn't, I don't think I ever would have got there if I hadn't stopped drinking. I, I was still working hard while drinking for sure and saving my money but I just couldn't put the pieces together and I, and I definitely was not the type of person that would have these, you know, a sound mind and body to run a business.
1: 100%. Yeah. And so what was when you opened, cause you said you opened what, around 30, 31 ish? 30. Yeah. Right when yeah, I turned 30.
0: Over. yeah.
1: Perfect. So when you opened and you're, you're living the sober life and, and bars are not like it, hospitality in general. Like we like to go out, we like to, you know, have good food and a good experience. We're experienced people. Right. So we like to go out and do it. Um, What was, was there a bunch of big challenges with that, you know, especially being a bar owner or what was, or were were you pretty clear headed from, from that point on?
0: Yeah. I I think it was just really hard in the beginning, just socially and for social um, situations. Like for example, my little brother got married like four or five months into me being sober. I used to always agonize about things like, you know, Christmas and, Holidays and birthdays and weddings—you know—a lot of people. My my family's a, what I would call a party family. You know, they like to have a few drinks, um, and so I used to agonize over that stuff. But you know, alone when I was with myself, I think I was lucky because I knew at that point I hit my rock bottom moment that I knew this is it. Like you, you I can't do it. Um, I'm not. I'm not a drinker. I'm not. I can't drink ha- happily. I, I knew that was it. And then once I sort of got that clarity, sort of slowly weaving it into uh, you know my my work life. And I think that I was about a year sober when I finally started to really push and and I approached my current uh, partners on, on, you know, my idea and and all that kind of stuff. And so it it just took time and it kind of happened at the same time that I got sober at the same time that I really kind of got the clarity as well to finally move forward and do what I wanted to do in business.
1: I love that. I love that. So starting bar number one, what was the next, I guess, big aha moment because you're you're running a successful bar you're young you're you're hungry your 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 mind's clear now right so yeah what what uh you know your your brand is called scott parker brand so what how many brands are under you and and kind of different concepts and and overall different industries
0: yeah so there was a couple aha moments the first one i was like probably three or four months into my first bar and i actually had kept my nine to five Hmm. uh because i just was worried you know that it wouldn't work um and you know we were it was new the bar was new we were still working through everything and i, I wasn't sure exactly how well we were doing you know there was a, we were really slow the first month really busy the second month so was, you know really busy the third month so i wasn't sure exactly how we were doing we we're tracking the numbers you know whatever but it was only only a couple months of data it wasn't like it was a whole year and one day my boss at the time pulled me into her office and she said hey um you know i think that you haven't been working as hard as you normally do Uh, because what I was doing was I was basically working at the office then at lunch, I would drive to the restaurant, work at the restaurant for lunch, make sure everything was good. Drive back to my nine to five, then drive back at night and work at the restaurant. And so she was like, you know, you haven't been here as much. And there's people saying that you own a business now. Is that true? And I'm like, uh, yeah. And she's like, well, what is it? And I'm like, well, I, I, um, I own a bar now. And so she was, she was like, well, this isn't going to work. You know, it doesn't work for us for you to own a business and run this company. So she fired me. I went to my partner and I was like, dude, like, I'm fired now. Like, I hope this bar we have here works because I'm fired. And then he showed me on paper. He was like, listen, man, like, we've only had a couple months of profit and loss statements. Um, but let me show you so you know what this means. And he kind of showed me how the numbers would work over the course of the year. And I realized I don't need my job anymore. Um, you know, we were just kind of building the bank account at that point. We haven't done any profit distributions. But, but then once I saw it on paper, I realized, all right, I don't need my job job anymore. Right. And then maybe um, the next aha moment was like five or six months down the road, just doing this and realizing like, you know, this is what I always wanted, um, you know, was to be a bar owner. And I sort of wanted it, but didn't know for sure I could do it. And now I've got it. And so it clicked for me that, um, you know, maybe this is something I can do again. At that point, we were in the first year, we were like the busiest bar in the state of Virginia. We would get data and stuff from people. We were selling more alcohol than anyone. This is 2012, 2013. And so then it kind of all clicked for me. Like, you know, you're not just doing this, but you're doing a pretty decent job at it. Maybe you can do it again. Mm-hmm. And then I started to do other restaurants. And then after doing other restaurants, I started to do other small business projects.
1: So the big question for all the listeners is probably how many businesses do you guys have? How many locations? Yeah. How, what, what, what's the overall umbrella look like?
0: Yeah. So right now, I believe that it is 18 stores currently um it should be um i'd have to do the numbers my math might be a little bit off but it's seven restaurants um we have seven dog daycare i'm sorry we have four dog daycares open that's that's something that we got into we have three barber shops open uh two boxing gyms um a dispensary store in dc uh is that it i don't know what i'm forgetting we're working on other stuff and what we've just tried to do is find new industries that we can weave hospitality into right so Mm -hmm. when you go into our barber shops it's not just a haircut, but it's a hospitality experience. Um, you know, we have worked hard to find what scents people like most. And there's a scent machine that blasts an incredible scent when you walk in the door. We've curated a uh, music list that's like 20 hours of music that you hear, you know, every time you, you walk inside. When you walk inside, the um, front desk person at the barbershop offers you either a water, a cold brew coffee, or a beer, all complimentary. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've, we've really worked hard in all of our individual brands to take the lessons we learned in hospitality and restaurants and weave those into those brands. And I think it's been a big part of our success.
1: Seriously. And uh, I'm a big, uh, you can't tell now on the video, but I, as I'm in Cancun, I, uh, haven't gone to a barber yet, but I'm a big fan of barbershops because of the military background and and the high and tight fade is one of my like true die-hard like must haves in life every other like week or so I'm getting a haircut. Yeah. Um, and I love those barbershops where you just walk in It's good conversation. It's, you know, that the, even the offer, like I don't like to have a drink while I'm getting my hair cut, but the offer of water, coffee, beer, like all the above is, is yeah. incredible just to have as an option. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and I think, you know, it's hard to, from what the sounds of it is hard. To, Cause in my opinion, it's hard to make a retail experience. Um, you know, hospitable, right. It's usually very transactional, um, especially not not as much as restaurants, but you know, uh, when you're, when you're talking about doing barbershops and other things like this, like normally it can be pretty transactional in that sense today. Um, so that you, the fact that you guys were able to kind of see that you can change that up a little bit with the scent and the complimentary, this, and just making it a better off environment, I think is really incredible. Um, and is there anything like in particular that you guys do for your restaurants or um, I'm just kind of curious from the, from that yeah. time. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, at the outset, sort of one of our, what part of what our, um, just our, our, our overall strategy has been to make restaurants that are both are, are really bars. It's kind of what we started in and what we do most make bars that are super fun to party at, but also that have really, a really good dining experience. For sure. So with a, with a lot of our places, You can go in there at, um, you know, 5 p.m. on a Tuesday and find the business crowd in there having drinks after work. You can go in there uh, for lunch on a Thursday and again, find, you know, the business crowd. But then you can go in there at midnight on a Friday night and find, you know, 522 year olds raising out of control. Right. Yeah. And And so us being able to do both has really helped us. You see a lot of bars that are just watering holes. You see a lot of restaurants that just provide a dining experience. We try to do both, Um, you know, and and that has been a big driver for us for for our success in in a lot of our concepts. Um, And then outside of that, you know, another one of our big strategies is just hiring great people and really inspiring them and motivating them to to fall in love with the restaurant and work hard at what they do. Um, We've kept a lot of the same great staff, you know, all these years, past bunch of years as well.
1: That's awesome. And for, you know, I think you kind of touched on a point, you know, on Tuesdays, you can find the business crowd like. I think we all know, you know, restaurants created happy hours, right. In order to drive more business on the off days that weren't Friday, Saturday, Sunday, even uh, maybe some Thursdays, depending on if it's a three week, three day weekend, you know, all that good stuff. Um, so I like that you dress that. So for you guys, when it comes to, I guess, downtime or slow time or whatever that may be, what's a big like driver change, different, you know, a change maker that you guys have imp- implemented into these concepts.
0: Yeah, sure. So we'll, we'll try to find um, just little outside the box ideas that are, you know, sort of basic, but we haven't seen much before. And then, you know, throw them in. If, so it's something new for people. I give you a very random example that I think um, all people will understand. So everyone's seen the beer towers. They were a lot more popular, probably 10 or 15, 20 years ago. You know, you go in, you buy a beer tower, you have a little tap on it and you and your friends, you know, drink the beer tower. Um, so what we, do, what we did at one of our restaurants, Don Tito, it's a 10,000 square foot taco and tequila bar um, you know, with a big rooftop. There we started Mimosa Towers. So at brunch, you know, instead of getting a beer tower, you and your friends can get a Mimosa Tower. It's just a little bit more fun than just getting the glass to drink it out of or the champagne bottle that everyone's seen a million times, right? Yeah. And so my partner, Nick, he came up with this idea to do these Mimosa Towers where it's essentially these beer towers, but it's full of Mimosa um, and even just something basic like that, it's very you know it's not like it's this uh you know it's not like we 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 reinvented energy or came up with some <laughs> incredible new tech it's it's just taking what's already being done and changing it so we've tried That's to true. do stuff like that, and we've you know little things into our our experiences that are different and people really take to it,
1: yeah, and there's a lot of that change by destination and uh, yeah maybe even depending on concept outside yeah. of yeah.
0: Yeah, it definitely does. It's a, it's a great question. So like, I get another example on that. We have a restaurant called Barley Mac that's probably one of our nicer, if you will, concepts. It's more of just the seated dining experience, um, casual American restaurant. There's no party scene there, you know, that sort of thing. Try to obviously, you know, blow up your brunch business, pack it in, but it just got too out of control. I mean, the it was getting packed for the deal. Everyone likes a penny mimosa, right? It's more or less free, um, but it was getting out of control. People are getting drunk next thing you know people are blacking out we have someone get sick in the bathroom and so it's like you know we can't bring sort of our party bar atmosphere into some of our restaurants it doesn't work and so actually just this past week we had a meeting we're like all right that's it enough is enough we're switching to you know 15 dollars champagne bottles which is still really affordable but it's not a penny um (laughs) and we switched to that and we didn't have any drama or drunken debauchery uh you know brunch this past sunday but but you know stuff like that we got to watch that we don't mix the venues too much
1: for sure, and did you have a lot of the repeat guests come back and be like, "What the heck? I'm here for the penny." Uh, yeah, that,
0: well, that that was a concern. That's always a concern, you know. You, yeah. you give guests this incredible price and you take it away, they freak. And so, if what we did was just have uh, our manager uh, reach out and call them for the, you know last week, and for the next few weeks, we'll just reach out to folks and say, "Hey, just so you know, if you book the penny mimosa, we don't have it anymore." But uh, yeah, so that's what we'll do.
1: Uh, the, I uh, hopefully they can understand why, because uh, you know that's a big. <laughs> it's a big thing to take on every Sunday if you're yeah. having to deal with that type of chaos. And it's cool. Yeah. Like if, you, if you, you don't really think about it, but if you have it, normally a party, you know, good go getting atmosphere for a Friday night or whatever the, the, the event may be. Uh, but then you bring it to a more casual sit down restaurant with no party life like that, but they do get like business. People like to go out. It's uh, it's mostly a write off for a lot of companies. It's, you know, taking client, lunches or brunches or dinners and and you know they have fun and that's when a lot of deals get made networking yeah. all that good stuff right but it's funny to see that the two can collide in that way uh just from an outside outside perspective yeah. Um, but yeah so i was i guess for for you now that we kind of get the whole umbrella boxing gyms barbershops restaurants bars um i guess you know your biggest takeaway in the space or as a founder in general, you know, creating so many things. Like obviously that's a lot of work. It's like me having 18 homes that I'm running by myself and, and having cleaners and maintenance people and all that stuff. So I guess what's been the biggest takeaway as you built this empire of, of different brands and different segments of, of experience, right?
0: Yeah. One thing I've been talking to people about recently because they see, you know, I've announced recently that I'm going to try to add 15 stores this year We'll see if we make it. I think we'll get at the very least 12 or 13 open. I don't know if we'll get to 15 this year, but um, what I've been telling people is just keep trying and keep opening. If you have an idea, launch it. Failure is not as bad as it uh, is cracked up to be. And in the beginning, I used to worry so much about it. And then of course, over time, I mean, we're, we're opening so much. We're trying so many different things. We're not going to be successful at everything, not even close. Um, so stuff is going to fail. Uh, and I think, I've realized in time that that's just not a big deal. Um, yeah. You know, as long as you're—I should say—I should—I should say that with a caveat. As long as you're willing to try again and work hard, it's not a big deal. You know, I'm, I'm at a place where I'm coming up on 40 this summer. Um, you know, and it works.
1: 100. And yeah, I like that you said that because, like, a lot of the founders that we interview on on the show, or just meeting in person, or whatever it may be, you know, their success story is not just that one story right they got tons of failure ones in in the past um i personally like had a failed show for an event company i was 19 i took on way too much debt i had no idea how to compete with uber um and i had no idea what the hell i was doing more or less i just liked hanging out with people and i liked taking them places because it was fun
0: um
1: but at the end of the day like complete complete failure like i took me it took me years to recover from that and so i think um yeah a lot of people are and i don't know about you but do you, did you ever like struggle with other people's opinions on, on your life and how you should live the expectation of, you know, yeah. Scott needs to be, he, I, my expectation growing up was Will's, Will's called to be a pastor. So he's got to be in church. So he's got to be a pastor. He's got to do this stuff. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people I don't think are like fully cleared to, to recognize that, that self-awareness of like, shoot, that's somebody else's expectation on my life. Not, not my own. Um, yeah. Right? I,
0: I, I, I agree totally, and and I think going to college kind of um, really brought that up because when you go to college, the only thing people want to know is at least back then. Now entrepreneurship is a lot more popular, but at least in two thousand five when I was graduating, all people want to know is where are you going to work, what's going to be your career, what do you want, what job do you want to have. I was an English major, so the question was, oh, so you're going to be a teacher, right? (laughs) And we as a people, for for whatever reason. Our whole lives, we are born, we are born and raised to be one thing: be a firefighter. when you're a kid, yeah, be a fireman, be a doctor, be a firefighter. But it's one thing. They don't say like when you're a kid and you're five years old. They don't say like, hey, you should be a firefighter and a doctor and start your own company, right? Because that's we're we're, we're designed. The whole system is designed to put us in these boxes. So sure. yeah, I, I thought I thought about it a lot along the way. Um, I definitely. Uh, struggled with what people thought for sure. Um, when I first opened my first restaurant, every, you know, all I heard was all restaurants failed, 99% of small businesses closed in two years. But all the things you hear, right? And now it's funny, um, then I succeeded once and then I would hear from people, well, don't try to roll it out again. Like, you know, but you're going to be too spread thin. You're going to all this other stuff. And we did it again. Then when I left the restaurant industry, people would say like, you're going to do dogs now? Like, what do you know about dogs? Like, you know, yeah. like, and then when I left, the, then when I moved on from the dog industry and did something else, they're like, well, you know, don't you think it makes more sense to focus on one thing instead of trying to be good at everything? So like the bottom line is people are, are kind of either doing one of two things. They're either regurgitating things they've heard before from said from a, a million other people that now has become law in their mind, like stick to down yeah. or businesses fail. It's either that um, or they're basically just saying that, you know, you should slow down that you're doing too much. You're not, you know, you know, you should be one thing. And so it's like, I don't, you know, I think that we all deal with that on some level and it's just how much it gets into our psyche. But now I'm at the point where I'm just realizing like, okay, I did pretty well in food and beverage. We're doing great in dogs. Our boxing gyms are on fire. The barbershops are packed. Like I'm not saying I can take over the world and I'm not you know, a technical guy. Like I said, I'm not going to go out and try to create the next Tesla or the next Apple. Mm -hmm. But I do spend a lot of time thinking about what can I do next and what else can our teams do. Um, and why should we limit ourselves? Why, you know, why should we say, oh, we can't go into that industry or we can't go into this industry or because that's all people try to do to me and they were all wrong. Um, and so it's it's like, you know, going forward, what am I going to listen to the world in their opinion or me in my own opinion? I'm the one these past, you know, 15 years being here in, in, in the, the DMV area. I'm the one that's had to do all the work. I'm the one that's had to take all the chances. I'm the one that's had to fail. I'm the one that's had to go through all that tough stuff. And I'm the one that believed when no one else believed. Right. And so I look at it now and I think to myself, like, you know, if someone's going to tell me, you know, this is a bad idea or that's a bad idea or whatever, uh, you know, it's hard for me to listen now unless it's some, someone I really feel has been there before and done that and realized those things. But, you know, that you hear the, the saying, you know, uh, man or woman in the arena. You know, whoever's in the arena is the one in there fighting the fight. But then they've got – 10,000 people outside the arena watching the arena and giving their comments, but they're not getting in the battle, right? Yeah. They're not getting
1: punched in the face.
0: Yeah, exactly. They're not getting punched in the face. They're not throwing the punches. They're not getting tired. They're not getting knocked down. We are. And so it's gotten to the point where I've just been always now starting to ask myself, you know, do you feel this can work? And are you willing to go through all the bad moments and all the pain to get it to the place it has to be? And if I can say yes to both of those things, then I'm going for it.
1: For sure. And a question that's kind of popped in through my head is do you guys have like an internal team that just always works with you on every business and then you disperse different teams to each one or do you have just start a new team every time and then you know off to the next what's that kind of process like for
0: you yeah man so so people always ask me that and it's a great question because we do so many different things yeah Um, and 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 the answer is it's it's yes at times and no at times and so one of the challenges that we have is um each one of my businesses is with different partners. And so right there, obviously, it creates a, a little bit of a challenge. You know, the food, the food restaurants with one group, the barbershops with one group, uh, bossy with another group. So right there in itself creates sort of a challenge. But what we, well, luckily, what we are able to do is we do leverage a lot of the same professionals for each one of the brands. Um, so for, you know, marketing and social, there's one team we're, we're using a lot now for website and everything web. Uh, there's one team that we use on absolutely everything. Uh, Legal, we're we're working with for the most part the same lawyer across the brands. Contractors, one or two of the same construction firms are building out all our stuff, right? And so it's a little sticky and a little tricky for me because the brands are not all sort of commingled and and uh, you know not all the same partnerships. But to your question, we have been lucky and been uh, successful at taking a lot of the brands uh, or a lot of the professionals and having them work on various things and. They've been kind of what we talked about in the previous question. They've been surprised too. Like, I'll call my lawyer and just be like, hey, man, we're going into the dog business. So I need you. To, I, uh, hey, we're launching these barbershops, or hey, we're going to open, you know, five more playful pack dog daycare centers this year. And they're just like, what the hell is it? Like, they're, they're, they're getting confused and, and uh, surprised too. But, uh, but yeah, to your question, a, a lot of the same professionals we're leveraging, we're leveraging through, through all the brands. Um, it's just a little, we have to jump through hoops sometimes because it's a different partners in each one.
1: Yeah. And I have kind of two more questions because the obvious I was hoping we can go through one whole episode without mentioning COVID. uh, But I'm kind of curious. How was that? You know, obviously, I feel like you guys are probably if you're talking about opening, you know, 15 more stores, then I'm I'm sure you guys are doing fine. But what was that? You know, the impact there What big lessons learned, um, new strategies you guys applied to to recover or to stay open. What what was that like?
0: Yeah. So like, like so many restaurants and bars nationwide, we definitely leaned hard into like the cocktails to go program. I don't know how it was, um, you know, in every jurisdiction, you know, in the the country, but I know in many parts of the country, they were sort of loosening up those rules so that, uh, people could sell cocktails to go. So we did stuff like that. Um, we also got very lucky where we are and it was very interesting because we are, you know, Arlington, Virginia, as many know, is right across the river from Washington, DC. Um, but obviously, they're two different areas, two different rules, two different—you uh, know—everything is different um, with how politics work. Um, and what was so interesting was uh, D.C. shut down aggressively and it shut down hard, and that shutdown stayed for a long time. Virginia shut down for I don't know a month or two, and then it loosened up pretty quick. It's a you know business-friendly state, uh, you know that kind of stuff. And so it was just a, a bizarre thing because we have all these Arlington restaurants and bars that. Frankly, even two or three months into Corona, we're packed um, with, you know, 20 and 30 somethings drinking and getting after it. And then yeah. right across the water in D.C., you have everything shut down. Yeah. And so, I, you know, all my friends in the industry over in D.C. and then even art the, the, the properties that we own in D.C. too, um, we're just going crazy like, man, we're getting killed here. And then the Virginia bars and restaurants, uh, for better or worse, luckily for us, we're in some cases thriving. Um, now it depends on what they were. So I'll give a couple of examples. Um, but my bars that, that served mostly that younger crowd, they were packed. Uh, even the, su- even the summer of 2020, they were packed. No question. Um, that the restaurants that serve the business crowd were dead. And some of those are still hurting. Uh, you know we have one restaurant that I, I referenced early on in the program, Barley Mac and um, Barley Mac serves. So I would say like 70 or 80% of our business at Barley Mac is either corporate lunches, corporate happy hours, uh, corporate events, big corporate dinners, uh, you know, whatever, you know, call it what you want, but the business crowd is like 70 or 80% of our business. Right. Sure. Um, and if people are not in offices, we're struggling. So that's only one or two of our properties, luckily that are are still going through that and they are truly just going through it because of office. Nothing else has changed. If offices come back, we'll do great again. Um, wow. But that's but that's kind of where we are now, outside of those two uh, knock on wood, for the most part, everything is profitable right now. Some things are, Barely profitable. Um, the great majority of our properties and, and companies are doing pretty well, and then a, you know a bunch are doing extremely well. Uh, yeah. We're obviously super thankful for that um, and, and humbled by that. Uh, and Corona taught us, and, you know, kind of what you and I were talking about five ten minutes ago. Corona taught me that the world is going to, you know, explode in your face no matter what you do. So why not take chances and hope that they work out? And if they don't, you deal with it, right? Yeah. And Corona really woke me up to that. I had um, you know, I actually had a guy I knew that was 27 years old that died from Corona. We had a barber. Uh, then we also had a barber uh, who was a recovering addict and being at home was really bad for him because he wasn't busy. He relapsed and died in like the second week in Corona. Um, so yeah, so we, we went through it. I went through it personally and it kind of just woke me up. It, it really, Corona really made me realize as an operator and as a person that, that the, the old cliche that life is short. We're all going to be gone soon. Uh, you know, you might as well live the life you want. You might as well take chances because even if you don't take chances and you play it slow and safe, something like Corona can happen and crush your world anyway, right? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, having that stuff happen early on in, in Corona, and it was kind of an awakening for me that like, you know, I'm almost 40, um, you know, in another knock on wood, in another 40, 50 years in the best case scenario world, right? I'm going to be gone. And so if I don't take chances now and, and do the the things I want to do, then what the hell am I here for? And so, you know, Corona just, just made me realize all that. And made me it kind of really pushed me to grow faster and bigger.
1: Yeah. And I, I recently heard, a uh, a, a more of like a cheers quote, you know, more of a, you know, kind of a, you know, give a, give a, a final word on, on an event or something, but it's more or less like, you know, the goal in life is to die as soon as possible late as possible in the sense of like, you know, we want to die, like live or live to the fullest, but die, Delayed. It was some kind yeah. of yeah, yeah. comment on that. I wish I knew it and didn't butcher it on an episode where we're recording. <laughs> uh, yeah. At the end of the day, like that made so much sense to me. I was like, "That's so true." Like at the end of the day, just live to the fullest, and hopefully that you make it long enough to to see everything all the way to the end. And and so, yeah, I think a lot of people did have that wake up call. And unfortunately, I'm sorry to hear about your, you know, um, yeah. your staff uh-huh. and and all that. Um, mm. But no, it's very. Yeah, that's pretty much like the lesson I think of COVID in general. You had so many people. The, the great resi- resignation uh, was due to the people pe- fact, the fact that people woke up, and were realizing they were not happy. They're tired of doing yep. what they're doing, and they wanted to do something that gave them more purpose. And so, yeah, I, I'm thankful for that part. And my I guess my final question for you is, you know, creating so many different businesses inside different industries. Tying a lot of, probably a lot of similarities in how you guys operate and look at them and, and the perspective is, but like, what's your business plan write up? Like what's your, from, you know, idea to execution what, what's that look like for you? Cause I'm genuinely fascinated about how you can be opening up so many different things uh, and concepts. Obviously, you know, there's the power of delegation, right? You got lawyers, yeah. you got marketing, you got web. So you're focused on what gives you energy or what, what you're good at. Uh, but what does that process look like for you?
0: Yeah. Um, you know, it's the, the first thing that I think people do when they want to start a new business is <clears throat> spend a lot of time getting excited about the idea and coming up with all the reasons that it's a good idea, right? People are like, oh, this is going to be so sick. There's not enough pizza places in this town. And, uh, you know, my cousin's a chef and it's so good for this reason. And we're going to we're going to kill it. And my, you know, I know how to get the money. And like they, the next thing you know, they're so drunk on the idea that they they don't even realize the reasons it's not going to work. So we kind of try to do a little bit of both. We, we go over the idea and all the reasons it's going to work. But then, you know, and, and this has been kind of a struggle for me at first, not anymore, but a struggle for some of my partners to do it first because it doesn't feel good. And that exercise is, well, let's spend the next hour coming up with the biggest list possible for all the reasons that this is going to blow up in our face and not work, right? Mm-hmm. And so we'll do that too. And after we've done both of those, then we kind of just leverage the two lists of, all right. Here's all the reasons it's going to work. Here's all the reasons it's not. Um, and then lastly, you know, which which one of these lists is more powerful, right? And then lastly, do we have the resources, the money, the the people to get it done? And can we compete in a certain area? So we take the two lists and we look at it and we say, like, you know, all right, the the list for why it's going to work and how it can work is so much bigger and more powerful than the list for. Um, you know, why it won't work or the, or, or the list for why it won't work. All those negative reasons that it won't work. We've spent enough time going through that to know that we can, okay, we can overcome that one. We can overcome that one. This one's going to give us trouble. This one's no problem. Let's take this. And then next thing you know, by the end, all right, there's only two or three reasons that this won't work. And we think we can get around those. So if the, if the list of all the reasons that it's going to work is so much bigger and more powerful than the, the small list of reasons that it's not going to work, and we know we have something there. And then it becomes a resource game. Who's, who are going to be the people? Who's going to put the money in? Where is it going to be? What's the competition like around that area? Um, and then from there, we start to slowly roll it out and figure it out. And, um, you know, for us, it's just been a process that, that helps a lot. I, I personally have definitely been guilty along the ways. Let's say at this point, um, you know, I've opened maybe, uh, you know, maybe around 30 things. And maybe there's been, you know, four or five like straight failures out of those 30. Like they just didn't work at all. Um, and in the beginning, I think we weren't doing that enough. I think we were we were drunk on our success and we were drunk on our excitement. Like, you know, when I first when I first got my first bar and it was like the busiest bar in the state of Virginia, I thought I was going to do it a hundred times. I'm like, yeah. oh, my God, I figured it out. We're going to have a hundred of these bars. And then I like the second place we did was a, a tiny little steakhouse. And it was like it wasn't working. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm not going to do a hundred of these. <laughs> um, and I, I think we, we referenced that earlier on in the show is that, Success can make you foolish, man. You start thinking that you're on top of the world. You, you know, you're like, if I did this, I can do this a million times, and I learned the hard way. It's, it's, it's not that way. Um, but to your, you know, to your question, we'll really try to beat ideas up instead of just get excited about them, and that can be hard because, as any, you know, entrepreneur, business owner knows, when you're launching something new and you don't know if it's going to work, you need a lot of stamina and you need a lot of blind belief because all entrepreneurs need blind belief because they don't know if it's going to work. So they have to believe it does. No one else does yet. Right. Um, And so for us spending that time to, you know, again, it just doesn't feel good to have an idea that you're excited about and then spend an hour writing all the reasons it's going to fail and you're going to end up miserable and you're going to lose money. You're going to lose time. You're going to lose credibility, you know, all those things, but doing that can really be a good exercise for us going forward. And that's what we do. And so again, if we, if we take the two lists, And the list of why we should do it is way bigger than the list of why we shouldn't do it. And we have the resources and the people and the passion to make it happen. Then we go for it. If we don't, we don't.
1: Yeah. I love that too. And you can even look at that that list of negatives, right? And see what ones are in your guys' control, what ones aren't, right? Like you can't control the competition. You can't control a lot of the certain things about certain markets or whatever. But there are like internal things like, okay, if you know... You know barbershops go out of business for this one particular reason and it's something you guys can control by right. adding better hospitality getting you know choosing a better venue and not just settling for a certain uh, you know lease or area that you have to you feel like it has to has to be done there's a lot yeah. of things you can, you can really control inside that and i think a lot of people uh listening maybe uh would look at do start doing the listing and be like well the list of negatives outweigh the, the positives, but then they didn't look at the half of the things on the negative that they really can't fix and change and implement differently. Um, you know, and then make it, you know, sort of half of, or a double the longer size of a positives, you can cut that in half and and make it more of a positive than anything. Um, yeah. So that's very interesting and and exciting. And it kind of makes me want to go start, you know, five more different concepts and, and, Uh It's, it's probably not right now, but uh, in the future, once we get there, um, I, I love to ask this question to uh, every guest. And that is for everyone who's listening, who's enjoyed the conversation, who's enjoyed, you know, hearing about your story. What's the uh, one place you'd love to send them if they you know, had one opportunity to click on on anything?
0: Yeah. Just uh, my Instagram is just my name at Scott Parker. Uh, it has all, it, has, it doesn't have all, it has most of my companies on there in my profile and then it has my personal website, scottparkerbrands.com on there as well. So if you use Insta, you can find me at Scott Parker. It's just my name. And then you can find all my other stuff there. You can send me a DM. I still take calls and do meetings with anyone that wants, um, you know, small business advice, entrepreneurship, talk, that kind of thing. So I'm um, always available and I appreciate the opportunity, man. It's been great catching up.
1: Of course. Yeah. I just want to say thank you for being on the show. And then uh, of course, to all you slick talkers out there that are listening, you go ahead, like, and subscribe to everything. Scott Parker, follow him on Instagram, follow all the businesses there. And of course, we'll see you all again next week. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to our show partners for making Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast possible. We hope you enjoy the show and we would love to connect with you outside of the podcast. So you can follow us on all of our social media channels for daily hospitality content or find us on SlickTalkThePodcast.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and we will see you guys all again next week. what's up everybody if you've gotten this far into the episode of slick talk the hospitality podcast then you are amazing and thank you so much for tuning in we want to send you two places really quickly if you can check out the show notes and click the hospitality.fm link check out all of our other shows on the podcast network and don't forget if you have someone that you want to hear on the podcast then fill out the guest fill out form so that way we can get them on the show Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy another episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast.